Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined for the first time on this week's episode by our new beat writer and now the new co-host of Real Pod Wednesdays, Griffin Strom. Griffin, welcome to the show. Hey Dan, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, you know, uh, I've been on the beat for a couple years now, so you know I'm not you know brand spanking new per se, um, but. You know, new to, new to Eleven Warriors. Uh, you know, coming in, got some big shoes to fill with uh, with Colin, of course. Um, but you know, I've obviously followed your guys' work for a very long time, and, and, and I'm thrilled to come aboard and and uh, you know, excited to to start doing this podcast with you as well. Yeah. So to give our listeners some background, you are an Ohio State grad. You're a Columbus native, or Bexley native, to be more specific. Uh, you uh, were sports editor of the Lantern. Uh, you most recently worked. Uh, for Buckeye Grove covering Ohio State. So you've been at all the same media availabilities, all the practices that I've been to all year. So, you know, it, uh, that, I think that's a really important thing when you're doing a podcast because if we were just going to start talking about uh, the quarterbacks and the secondary today and you were just starting to cover Ohio State this week, you might be in a little bit over your head. But you're going to be ready to hit the ground running and cover this season, which starts in eight days. Yeah, you know, there, there was no uh, day off in between the last job and this job. It was just, uh, you know, ended on Sunday, started with 11 Warriors, you know, uh, yesterday on Monday. Um, and yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm up to date on all the, on everything. I've been at all the availabilities and uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to talk about, uh, you know, the end of the preseason here and going into, you know, what should be a thrilling season opener for Ohio State uh, in just a few days. Silver lining, when Colin started, his first day was the day that Urban came back from his suspension, and so he was there for that long press conference where Urban talked about his mistakes that he made with uh, the whole Zach Smith situation. So, uh, not nearly as tough a first day as that. Yeah, you know, I did have to come in. You know, there there was a press conference, but of course, that's nothing new. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I I was just starting actually in the journalism program at Ohio State when uh, that you know infamous uh, press conference with Urban Meyer took place. Um, you know. By the end of that year, you know, that's when I uh, actually started, um, you know, as a sports editor with The Lantern. Um, but I was spared of the uh, the anguish that uh, that ensued uh, uh, for the uh, the press with some of that stuff during that uh, time period. Well, I doubt our listeners really want to relive that any longer. Uh, we're going to talk a lot on the show about uh, some of the news that's come out uh, here in the past week, including, uh, of course, the news that C.J. Stroud is going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, some of what we learned uh, from that press conference on uh, Monday with the defensive backs. Uh, we'll also talk about the news uh, that came out on Tuesday that the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12 are going to be forming an alliance. But first, before we get back to talking to Griffin, I had the opportunity to sit down with Ryan Day on Tuesday morning for a one-on-one interview in his office to talk about uh, some of the you know upcoming season, uh, to talk about uh, kind of you know his perspective going into year three on the job, what it's like managing expectations, what it's like uh, you know dealing with uh, roster management and, and some of the different things that are happening right now in college sports. And so uh, we're going to play that interview for you now uh, so you can have a chance uh, to hear yourself from the man who will be leading Ohio State once again this season, Ryan Day. Nine days from a season here. Mm. I mean, first of all, is how good does it feel to know that you're starting the season on time this year and you know, having things more normal after everything you guys had to go through last year. Yeah, no, it's it's been um, it's been a breath of fresh air to kind of get guys back into a routine. I think that one of the things that happened last year was for a 19 year old, 20 year old, a whole a year and a half is like you know five percent of their life, and then when you think about what they really remember, it's had a big impact. Where somebody who's 40, 50 years old, they have a reference point of what to go back to. So, you know, what's normal? You know, normal for the last year and a half was what they experienced. So kind of reprogramming them has, uh, has not has not been that easy. Um, you know, I think for an adult, it's like, okay, we can go back to what normal was. But for them, this is kind of normal, you know, with what happened in the last year and a half. So it's been great to get back on a routine, go through camp and, you know, sure there was times where they you know they were really trying to figure out where they were at in this whole process but it's been good what do you think are the things that you all took away from everything that's happened over the past year that you're now able to apply going forward and make you guys stronger i think first off it's 
you know, when adversity hits, you know, not panicking. Um, hope, anyways. Because there was just so many things thrown our way last year that we couldn't control that made things really, really hard, you know, in the middle of practice, you know, guys getting taken off the field or shutting down practice or having virtual meetings or just so many crazy things that we couldn't control. And uh, I think it... I think it was, you know, great for our guys to, you know, work through that for a year and know that there's just certain things along the way that are going to happen and how do we respond to them, you know. Um, so hopefully when we do hit adversity, whether it's in-game or however the things shake out this year, there will be some sort of adversity along the way. I don't know what it'll be, but they were able to handle it like pros. Obviously, you know, COVID's still out there. It's still a threat. Kind of how are you handling that this year in terms of making sure that guys are aware of it like this is still something that could potentially affect us. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that from everything I've read, you know, COVID's not going anywhere. You know, the flu never went anywhere. So how are we going to handle it? And, you know, um, I think 90% of our team is vaccinated now, which is great. Some of the guys still aren't, and they just are going to have to, you know, follow the protocol for those who are the un who are unvaccinated. And, um, but, you know, there's, there's just certain things in place that have become a little bit more normal and we still have to limit our exposure to people but the vaccinations obviously has allowed us more freedom in terms of you know flexibility of doing more things which is great um but again we're just gonna have to learn to live with this virus because it's not going anywhere are there certain things that like you have to remind guys like hey you know be careful about doing this or doing that or are you kind of trying to ease up on that a little bit this year after how tight last year was i mean they, they know that they know that. I mean, and they have to take care of themselves. And if they don't, then you know, a lot of them have experienced that. They've gotten, they've tested positive and had to sit out, and that's no fun. So uh, I think, you know, they, they understand. They, you know, but we, we try to remind them every time we can to be smart about themselves. Yeah. You have, you know, your picture of your family behind you. How happy are they that they actually get to be around and, and be in the facility this year? Yeah, it's been unbelievable to get everybody back here. Um, that was, that was a, it was a hard part for everybody is not being around family, players' family, our families. And uh, even just little things like being in the team room together now and those type of things have been really good for our team to get back to normal. But, yeah, I know the family's excited to get back to games again, get back to normal. You've been to coach here for two years. You've been to two college football playoffs. Obviously, right now you're knee-deep in prep for the season. But do you ever have to, like, take a step back and think, like, hey, this doesn't always happen like this? Yeah. Yeah, um, and I, I try not to think about that too long because there's too many other things at hand. But, yeah, I, I pinch myself sometimes. I do. Um, there's a lot of hard work uh, that go into this. It doesn't just happen. Um, it takes great people. We have great people here. We really do. And, um, you know, the only way that this thing works is if, if they're strong. And when you look at Mark and, and Mick and... Um, you know, obviously our, our entire staff and what they do, our operations with Quinn and Volt, that's the only way this thing works. And we got great people here who care a lot about the program. And so, uh, yeah, I think there's some days that you know, I wake up and, you know, pinch yourself a little bit, but just know that, you know, it's year to year and you got to keep winning in order to have the opportunity to be at a place like this. Do you think the fact that you made it to the national championship game last year, but then it didn't go the way you guys wanted, like, do you think that helps your team in terms of kind of giving them a taste of like, okay, this is what it takes to get here, but now we've got to do more to get where we really want? I think maybe it'll, it'll pay off if we get back into that, you know, spot next year in the championship season. But, um, you know, if we if we think about that now, we're going to get ourselves jammed up. I mean, we've got some really hard games here. Obviously, the first one in Minnesota is going to be a big challenge on the road with the new quarterback. So we can't be focused on you know the cherry on top. We got to we got to make sure that we're we're taking care of all the stuff that we need to early in the season. And I think we've done a great job. I think our staff's done a good job with that. Our leaders have done a good job. Like we got to win the first game, and then maybe as we get down the road, if we're in lucky enough to be in you know the championship game for the conference and then you know who knows down the road from there that experience will you know allow us an opportunity to have some perspective and we've been in that in, the, in those situations before so I think that's a positive but you know we have to get there first 
it's obviously not very common that you're in a position like you've been in this year with having you know three and now four quarterbacks who are all really talented but have never actually passed at the collegiate level. Just what's it been like managing that this whole offseason, uh, getting to the point of ultimately naming CJ the starter? Um, honesty, communication, um, fairness. Um, you know, I think that when you're recruiting quarterbacks, you have to be honest with them. You have to tell them exactly what's going to happen. You have to continually communicate with them to tell them exactly where they're at. Um, and, and I think we've done a good job of that. Um, you know, we ask these guys to give us a commitment for a year at least, you know, that they're going to be here and they're going to be with the team until January. And then you come up for air because it's a little bit year to year. But And that's the reality of it, as much as I hate to say that. You know, it just someone heard me say that 10 years ago. They'd be like, oh, my God, he's a, he's a renegade. But that's just the way it is. Um, but I, but I think that the guys understand where they're at. I think that the focus has been on development, and they know that this season could come, you know, come come at them fast, and there could be some different situations. So the goal is, when I get into that game, am I actually ready? Not, you know, when am I getting on the field? Okay, careful what you wish for. Now you better be ready to roll when you're in the game. So um, that's been kind of how we're navigating and talking about it. Obviously, you're going to have transfers every year, but by and large, I mean, even the last few years, like there hasn't been a ton of attrition from year to year in this program. Like, what do you think you guys have been able to do in order to create a culture that guys want to be here, even if maybe it means waiting another year for playing time? Uh, I mean, thanks for saying that because I, I take a lot of pride in that, and especially in a place like Ohio State where, you know, the easy thing to say is, well, if I can't play at Ohio State, I can play at, you know, 115 other schools. Um, but we have great, a great history of that. I think that when you bring in recruits and their families, you, know, you have an obligation. I think there's twofold. One, there's guys like Cam Babb who really hasn't played much football at all in his whole career, but now he's a captain. He's had four ACL surgeries, but we, we never, we didn't move on from him. He's still here. He's one of us. Uh, Demario McCall has gone through a lot in his career. He's now got an opportunity to play a corner for us. Um, you know. At, and maybe in other programs that wouldn't have gone that well. I think that you know we, we owe it to the families and the recruits to give them everything we have to see it through to their graduation and to find ways to get them on the field. I think that's important. But I also think the other part of it is, again, when you're when you're talking to them and recruiting, you're you're bringing them here because of the tradition, because of the culture, and you're allowing them to choose the school for the right reasons, not talking them into coming here. If you talk someone into coming here, it doesn't go exactly the way that you planned. They're going to leave. And so we ask all the time when they commit, now you're, you're choosing the school for the right reasons, which means when things get hard, you've got to stick it out. And maybe that's not everybody's recruiting pitch, but that's ours because it is going to get hard here. You are going to question whether you want to be here. But if you choose it for the right reasons, then you're going to make it work when times get tough. And it doesn't always work out. There's still guys who you know want to have opportunities at other places, just like everybody else. But I think that's really important moving forward in the next few years. How do you think that maybe resonates with the younger players that come in when they see guys like a Cam Bab who's sticking it out and who's had to go through some adversity but is still here and is now a leader in the program? They understand. And I think the, the honest truth is the hard thing for them is managing their family back home and their friends back home who want to see everything right now. And they don't see what goes on on a day-to-day -day basis. They don't know what it's like to be part of a team. They have, they, they're not there. And so for a lot of those guys, they get it. How do they then talk to their family and their people back home and explain to them, this is, allow me the opportunity to grow. Allow me the opportunity to develop. I really like being here. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that the instant gratification world right now is, you know, you come in as a freshman, you play, and then three years you go to the NFL. You know, what's the reality of all of that? You know, I mean, it's very, very far and few between. The guys who actually make it at the NFL level are, get developed. You know, they're ready when they get to that league. Because once you're in that league, if you're not ready to roll, then, then you know, you're not going to last long. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on there. But, yeah, I think that that really helps the guys understand it. And then how do we help their families understand that as well? How do you manage that when maybe parents are calling you and going, you know, why is it my, my son playing? How do you kind of have those conversations with them? Just try to be honest, as honest as possible. You tell them on the front end what it's going to be like, and then tell them while they're here. Just communicate. This is what's going on. This is where they need to improve. This is what they're doing well. 
Um, and, 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 you know, if we don't think that they are going to play here, you, you got to be honest with that too. You know, you got to be like, well, it's going to probably be a couple years before he gets on the field. Or, you know, if he just continues to do these three things, then he's going to have an opportunity to play. Uh, I think people appreciate the communication. They appreciate the honesty. And then, you know, you just kind of work through it from there. But like anything else, when you have 120 guys on your team and you are a family, not every day is perfect, just like in everyone's family. There's going to be disagreements. There's going to be things like that. But if you can talk through it and there's transparency, it allows you the opportunity to continue that culture of a family and love, even though it's not always easy. You have a really, you know, highly touted freshman class coming in. It seems like you know you guys have had nothing but good thing to say about guys. Just what is that group brought to this team so far? I think, you know, when you look at that that group, they're very talented, but they have such a such a great approach. They are mature. They're serious. They have a good work ethic. Uh, they're good leaders, even for freshmen. Um, they, they're they, they have a chance to be special, not just on the field. I mean, they, they they're talented there, but they have a really good approach on things. They're 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 pretty grounded, and I didn't I didn't expect that coming from everything that went down in COVID last year. I just didn't I didn't expect that level of maturity that they have. So it's going to be exciting to see where it goes. To have the kind of team that you've assembled here, you know, all the highly touted recruits, I mean, just how, like, to come into this program every day and just see the players that you have in this building, I mean, what what is that like? I mean, how does it, how much, you know, how special does that feel to know the kind of group you've assembled here? Yeah, I mean, I think that during this time of uncertainty, the thing that we've tried to do is bring in great staff, great people, but bring in great recruits and great families because the easy thing to do when everything's changing in college football is to just throw up your hands and be like, well, I can't control all these things and what am I going to do? What's coming next? And name it your likeness. And what can you can't control? You can't control the people you're bringing into this building. And that's been our focus and making sure that they're the right people, really good people who understand what this place is. And that's just, that's been it. Now, what is that going to turn into? Who knows? You know, but. But there, there are days where I just see some of these young men walk around this building and just like, wow, they're these special young men. And um, There's more to it than just wins. And, and you know, just even watching some guys like DeMario or Cam or some, you know, guys like that talk to our team, and uh, that's what this thing's all about. I mean, you have to win to have these opportunities, but this is why you get into this profession. Is it hard to just focus on football when you have everything else that's happening in this sport right now? Yeah, it is. It is. And that's why you have to have great people around you. You know that I, you know, I can't worry about the weight room. I don't with Coach May. I don't really worry about evaluating film like Mark does. The defense, the special teams, that allows me to kind of focus on offense when you have you know great people around you. And do you kind of allow Gene to kind of handle all this Absolutely. alliance and conference, that's, all that stuff? Yeah, and that's what's great. Like when they ask me about it, I'm like, I, I really, I'm just leaving it up to Gene because obviously I have ultimate trust in him and I know he's going to do what's best for Ohio State. And he's been doing this a lot longer than me. So if he asks my input, I'll give it to him. But at the end of the day, he's the boss. He's going to make these decisions and I'm going to follow his lead. When you've made, you know, two college football playoffs, you know, you go into your third year, obviously the expectation is go win it all. How do you manage that personally, that expectation of, you know, anything other than a national championship is going to be viewed as a disappointment. I mean, we just never know what's going to happen. And I knew that coming in. It's like, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you follow up Urban Meyer? And, you know, I've been dealing with this now for a while. Um, I think there's two things. You balance the, the expectation of winning every game, but also here building a first-class program and doing things the right way and keeping up that ideal of what the block O means. And I think that means just as much to Buckeye Nation as winning. And we're doing that. And so I think that allows me at least peace of mind to know that hopefully 15, 20 years or however long they'll keep me here, people can say, well, they, they, they won a lot of games, but they also did things the right way in a first-class manner. And I think that's just as important to the people of Ohio. And so I try to grab onto that a little bit. Um, and no, there's certain things I can't control, but we're going to compete fiercely. And if we keep recruiting great people and we put great schemes on the field and we play really, really hard, that we're going to win a lot of games. And that's what it comes down to. And just know that there's some things I can't control and just let go on those things. So. 
thanks again to Ryan for taking the time uh, to talk with us this morning. It was great to have the opportunity uh, to sit down with him. You know, it's always great to, you know, get his perspective on things. And, you know, I thought it was interesting, you know, talking to him about dealing with the expectations of trying, uh, you know, to win a national championship, to win it all. And, and he said, you know, he, he, he recognized those expectations. He's never shied away from the fact that those are the expectations at Ohio State, and he understands, you know, that's what Ohio State needs to do. But he also talked a lot about wanting to do things the right way, of wanting to make sure that he runs a program uh, in a first-class way because he believes that uh, is, is very important to Ohio State fans. And, you know, ultimately that's to you, uh, the listeners, to decide. I think there are some fans who really do just care about winning, but I think there are a lot of you who do care about the way a program is run as well. And, you know, I thought that was uh, kind of one of the themes that, that came out of that interview that, you know, he wants uh, to make sure that, you know, the, the program is run in a certain way, a way that makes people, including players, want to be a part of it. Yeah, not to put you on the spot here, Dan, but, um, you know, was there a coolest trinket you saw in Ryan Day's office, given that it was, uh, you said your first time being in there? Was there something that really stood out to you that was uh, kind of cool? Well, the uh, Sugar Bowl trophy was prominently displayed in there, which, uh, for good reason, the trophy that uh, they won for beating Clemson in last year's college football playoff semifinals. So that did uh, catch my eye. Uh, you know, lots of, uh, you know, pictures in there of, you know, from his career of Ohio State, you know, right behind him where we were sitting, uh, he had a big picture of him and his wife and his three kids. So I think that also tells you uh, that family is something that's, that's very important to Ryan Day. Yeah, you know, uh, we, we, we often focus so much on kind of the nitty gritty and, you know, position battles and, you know, you know, schemes and things like that with, with, uh, with Coach. But it's cool, you know, when you got that one-on-one time with uh, Ryan Day to kind of take a step back and, and you know, ask him about kind of the, the bigger picture lens and kind of the bigger themes uh, of being the, the head coach at Ohio State and just kind of what that entails because we don't always get um, that perspective from him. Yeah, and that's kind of how I wanted to approach it, you know, when I knew that I would have the opportunity to talk to him one-on-one to kind of, you know, talk about the stuff that maybe I wouldn't ask uh, in a normal press conference. And, you know, I did think it was really interesting what he said, too, about one of the hardest parts when you're dealing with players and, and playing time and all that is it's not necessarily dealing with the players themselves, but it's it's the parents that maybe uh, don't understand why something is the way it is because they're not always around the program. And that's not something that surprises me to hear because, you know, I, I you know, I do think, you know, a lot of times if, if you know, I write something uh, about a, a player that's maybe, you know, construed as negative, I might be more likely to, to hear from a parent than I am from a player of himself. So uh, it doesn't surprise me to hear that. You know, I get it from a parent's perspective. You know, I've never been a parent, but I would imagine if I had a kid who was good enough to play at Ohio State football, I'd want him to be on the field all the time too. And I wouldn't necessarily understand why if they weren't. But I think it's interesting, you know, kind of what he said about having to have those conversations, you know, being honest, being transparent. That's the policy that he has uh, tried to abide by and leading this program. And I think so far it's worked. I mean, I think he, this challenge with the quarterbacks it, it remains something that is unforeseen. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that goes over the next couple of years. But so far, he's done a really good job of minimizing transfers, keeping players into programs, keeping players focused on the, on the task at hand. And, you know, I think, you know, if he, if he can keep doing that in, in an era where it's become harder than ever, I think that does say a lot about the way he is able to successfully manage a program. Yeah, and you know, Dan, you talk about um, uh, the quarterbacks and, and potential, you know, transfer situations. I don't know if you had any more you wanted to talk specifically about your um, interview with uh, Ryan Day, um, but you know, we could go straight into talking about you know one of the biggest takeaways of the last few days, which uh, of course was on Saturday. Ryan Day called an impromptu uh, press conference at the Woody, and um, I think we all kind of knew what to expect out of that press conference. Um, Dan, did, did you not? Yeah, I I was expecting that i know there were some other people that were wondering like there's always the people who go oh no is it going to be bad news when there's an impromptu press conference and i think some people thought you know maybe it would be something like you know announcing the blocko or you know maybe some other uh kind of initiative but i, I kind of figured that if he was calling a press conference uh when we knew they were already close to naming a starting quarterback that was probably going to be was i just said to myself man i thought griffin was going to be around to help me write about this because i thought he was going to announce it on monday and then he decided to announce it two days earlier 
Yeah, it, it was not a surprise, though, and I think we all probably uh, had our uh, C.J. Stroud uh, starting quarterback pieces already kind of in the can yes, there, ready to ready to send out. So, um, <laughs> you know, probably wasn't that big of a deal. But, yeah, you know, Ryan Day said uh, uh, that C.J. Stroud's uh, reaction to hearing the news, that uh, he was kind of, um, you know, not too emotional about it um, and, and kind of recognized that um, – what he, what Ryan Day said was that it's, uh, it's, it's not an accomplishment; it's an opportunity, and that's just kind of an interesting way to look at it. Because if you think about it, I mean, you do all that work to win the job, but then once you win the job, all of a sudden now you are a redshirt freshman who's never thrown a pass before, and you're about to, you know, go face a Big Ten defense on the road um, at night in your very first uh, collegiate start. So, um, you know, the biggest challenges definitely are awaiting C.J. Stroud, um, you know, after winning that job. But yeah, I mean, how do you think that, that things are going to kind of play out now with some of those other, you know, big names at quarterback in that position room uh, now that C.J. Stroud has been tapped as that starter? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting because, you know, Ryan Day, he hasn't named a number two quarterback yet. Now, I my feeling is if something happens to C.J. Stroud and somebody else has to go in the game, I think it'll be Kyle McCord. Do you agree with that? Um, I don't know. I mean, I thought Kyle McCord's just, you know, pure passing ability, um, you know, could be, you know, above a level of Jack Miller. But I also think that um, Ohio State, you know, could reward that extra year that Jack Miller has spent in the program last year alongside C.J. Stroud. And just the fact that he's been committed to Ohio State, you know, for so long as well, uh, far before, you know, even C.J. Stroud was. So you just wonder, you know, if there's a situation where somebody's got to come in, you know, and run one play. Um, you know, would that be Miller or are they, you know, start, are they, are they already kind of looking past Miller? I mean, a lot of people think, you know, that one of these guys is going to end up um, transferring. Um, I think if you did see, you know, McCord jumping over uh, uh, Jack Miller, despite that extra year in the program, um, you know, would that play into that? Yeah. And I think, I think it's a different conversation too, between who's going to be the first guy that comes in the game when they're winning big and it's a blowout and they're taking out the starters? And who's going to be that guy that comes in if C.J. Stroud gets hurt and has to come out for even a play? I think those are two different conversations because we saw it last year. The first game of the year, they're blowing out Nebraska. Jack Miller was the first guy to come in. But those times when Justin Fields went out of a game, it was C.J. Stroud who came in. And I think that said everything. I think that's what really matters. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, Again, who knows what's going to happen in the first two games. But, you know, let's say yeah, the third game against Akron or Tulsa. I forget which one is which. But, you know, let's say they're winning big in the second half. It wouldn't surprise me if Miller's the first guy in because of that extra year, like you said. But I don't know that necessarily means he, he's the number two guy. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Ryan Day manages that. Because, you know, like you said, I mean, it's, it's no surprise that C.J. Stroud is the starter he seems very confident in C.J. Stroud, and and so, you know, certainly he seems, uh, you know, he was asked, was it a tough decision? He said, well, I think it was the right decision for sure. So, you know, he definitely has conviction about this decision, but he thinks C.J. Stroud is the right guy. That that backup quarterback situation, with there's always the question about whether Quinn Ewers could get involved in there at some point, too. The fact that he's apparently unavailable right now with an injury after just getting there— I, he's got a lot of ground to make up at this point. And so I think, you know, most likely if he's going to play at all, it's going to be later in the season. But I think, you know, those it's going to be really interesting, those, you know, early games. Like, who, who's the first guy in? How does Ryan Day manage those reps? Yeah, for sure. And, and um, you know, with the, speaking of Quinn Ewers as well, um, yeah, it is kind of interesting that he, you know, just got on campus. You know, you wouldn't think he's doing really much uh, uh, contact work and things of that nature, but he already has – you know, obviously some sort of, uh, you know, physical issue that caused him to miss a few days of practice. Um, but, you know, honestly, you know, I think a lot of people's, you know, first uh, reaction upon, you know, hearing the news, oh, Quinn Ewers, you know, this, uh, you know, prodigy five-star uh, all-time recruit is going to, uh, you know, be parachuting into to preseason camp. Oh, my God, is he going to, you know, start the first game for Ohio State? Um, I think that was probably always a bit of a ridiculous expectation. <laughs> yeah. um, and now that that, that has just come into into plain view uh, now for us over the last uh, week a uh, week and a half or so, um, you know we did get to see uh, Quinn actually uh, you know throw the ball at Ohio State practice although you know he wasn't involved in you know every rep out there um, obviously um, but it was you know cool to to, to get him uh, get a look at him throwing the ball I had never actually seen him in person before I know you might have probably you know seen him uh, at different recruiting things here or there um, I don't know if you have or no not. I hadn't I hadn't <laughs> okay. that was the first time I've ever seen him throw. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously the, his his arm talent just jumps out at you. 
Um, but I, I personally did think uh, there's a big difference in just the stature. Um, you know, even if they're somewhat similar in height, um, just the, the the size of C.J. Stroud, especially after you know him put, packing on some pounds, um, you know, in preparation for the season. Um, he just looks bigger and more game ready right now, and, and obviously that's what you would expect with Quinn Ewers, uh, you know, technically being um, a high school senior right now. Um, but that was just one, one observation. And that's Mickey Marotti at work, right? Because because when CJ came in, he did not look the way he does right now. So you've definitely seen that, you know, that physical growth over the, the past year and a half to where you know he's now built ready to play at, at the collegiate level. And so you know that absolutely makes a difference in in this whole thing. You know, the interesting thing you mentioned it. You know, we did we did go to practice last week. We didn't actually get to see CJ Stroud throw at that practice because they decided to give him a rest day, which like at first. You know, I think we're all kind of standing there like, is C.J. Stroud hurt? Like, what's going on here? And Ryan Day said he isn't. Uh, you know, he's since named him a starter. So certainly if anything uh, is going on there, that would come as a surprise. You know, I think maybe his arm was just tired. He needed a day off. But Or maybe Ryan Day just didn't really want the world to see C.J. Stroud until that first game against Minnesota. Yeah, he did deny that when asked he about did, it. He did, but... Yeah, but but that was and honestly wasn't just C.J. Stroud that day. There was a whole bunch of players, you know, uh, you know, projected starters, uh, guys that we think are going to be big time players for Ohio State this season that were off on the side field. Um, C.J. Stroud was not uh, doing that necessarily, but um, you know, guys like Zach Harrison, uh, Dallas Gant, Cody Simon, uh, Cam Brown, even there was a whole bunch of guys over there that that we think are going to be you know starters or you know close to the, the top of the depth chart. Um, that were all kind of a sideline, and you you wonder maybe that is why you know they let us watch so much of practice because that isn't going to be the the final product wasn't represented there um, that day, or or it could be the guys are you know just you know uh, in the middle of preseason camp and dealing with um, some some bumps bruises and just nagging injuries as well. Yeah, I think it was probably a little of both. I mean, I I don't think uh, it's a coincidence that the one day we got to watch a full practice was a lighter practice day that you know they they you know weren't doing you know they weren't running a ton of stuff or anything because they don't want it they don't want to see in that so i think you know they they purposely allowed us to do that on a day where you know they they weren't doing a lot of crazy things even though you know we were told going in not to report on you know strategic type stuff we really didn't see much of that anyway because they were going they were staying pretty vanilla on the day they were there i'm sure it's much different when we're not there but you know, I, I think, you know, you, you make that point about the guys that were out on defense. And to me, as we're sitting here just over a week before the start of the season, particularly that back seven, like I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like that is without a doubt the part of this team right now that I've still got the most questions about. Because like, okay, we know CJ Stroud's going to be the starter. Like the way they talk about CJ Stroud, just what I've seen from CJ Stroud, like, I'm pretty confident in C.J. Stroud, even though I've never seen him throw a pass. Like, if C.J. Stroud was went out and was just awful, it would shock me. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be Justin Fields in the first game, but I, I think I think C.J. Stroud is going to be ready for the task. You know, we know they're loaded at receiver. The offensive line, we'll see if it works, but it seems like they have a plan. You know, the, de- the defensive line, we know they've got a lot of guys. There's a lot of known commodities there. You know, running back, it seems like they've got – uh, you know, a few good options. I don't know exactly what the rotation is going to look like, but I do think they have three guys who are probably going to play. But when you get to that back seven, you know, I mean, starting with the secondary, because we did get to talk to Matt Barnes and the safeties this week. You know, basically the big takeaway I had from that is there was a lot of talk about we're going to play a lot of guys and, you know, guys can move around between positions. But it, it was clear I mean, Matt Barnes is is almost on a Kevin Warren level of saying a lot without saying anything. He just <laughs> he does not give anything away when you talk to him, and it was very clear that that message had also been given to the defensive backs because every time and like I know uh, Doug Lee Maurice from Cleveland.com, he he he's very good at like asking questions to try to get information, and he was really trying, but just nobody was biting like every. Everyone, when they were asked about, you know, how much is the bullet going to play, they'd all go back to, it's going to vary game to game. That's up to Coach Barnes. They were all very consistent at staying to the message of, it's going to vary by game plan. It's up to Coach Barnes. We'll see what happens. And so, you know, I think that's exactly what they want, that we don't know what the back seven is going to look like this year. But 
that also makes it hard for us to try to reassure you that the back seven is going to be any good because we just don't know. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, even in preparation for like doing this podcast and, and just, you know, absorbing all the information uh, as possible from the other day, I watched the Matt Barnes uh, presser back like like three times almost trying to see like, wait, wait, so what did he say? What did he even say again? And I'm like, oh, yeah, he didn't really say anything at all. That's why I have to keep <laughs> rewatching this. Um, because he really was, you know, you know, the same position having multiple different names. We got into the, the conversation of, you know, a slot corner versus a, a cover safety um, and how, you know, they could have just different guys with different body types um, playing the same role, but, you know, calling him a different position. Um, specifically with Bullet, for example, um, you know, they were talking, they were using the term Bullet, uh, you know, here and there. But also when I was talking to Craig Young, you know, he was, he was uh, bouncing back and forth saying that, uh, you know, when they initially brought the idea uh, of him switching positions, uh, the coaches bringing that idea to him. Uh, and back in January, he was saying that they were just calling it a safety back then. Um, so they weren't even calling. And, and then, you know, ahead of the spring game, they actually had the guys listed as a bullet on the roster. You know, since then, that that's no longer the case on the roster. And then you can't really uh, get like a really straight answer out of most of these guys about that. And when you ask them about, you know, how much those guys are going to play, they, they keep saying, you know, it, it could, it's going to change from, uh, you know, a per, by, by personnel grouping or by, you know, uh, the offense is playing which team that they're they're matching up with. Um, and I do think that that honestly probably is the case. They obviously could tell us a lot more, but I think it is going to vary um, quite a bit. But yeah, like I, I remember like when we were talking to Al Washington uh, a, a couple weeks ago, whenever that was, I kind of left like more confused with that position group <laughs> than I was going in because they didn't even mention the term Sam linebacker once that entire time, um, which of course would, would kind of lead you to believe that those bullets are going to have, you know, a, a big uh, impact. Uh, on this defense this year. Um, but yeah, certainly still a lot of questions, a lot of depth chart questions, you know, who is actually at the top of the depth chart, which guys are actually fighting uh, for time from, from one position to the next. Yeah. I mean, we had Kyle Jones on the podcast last week and you know, for those of you who, you know, who didn't get felt, we did talk a lot about this last week. And, you know, I found myself as I was listening to Matt Barnes thinking, Hmm, that sounds a lot like a lot of things Kyle was, was thinking is going to happen in terms of, you know, one of the things Matt Barnes kept talking about was how we're more about concepts than we are about position. And so what I'm fascinated to see is, okay, well, when we see the bullet and we see the cover safety out there, are those going to look like two completely different positions or are those going to effectively be the same position? And could... Like, there's three guys they talk about at cover safety. Marcus Williamson, Lathan, Ransom, Ronnie Hickman. And there's three guys they talk about or sorry, Cam Martinez. There's three guys that talk about a bullet, Ronnie Hickman, Craig Young, Court Williams. But I think we could potentially see Leif and Ransom at bullet or Ronnie Hickman. At, I, I think those two positions could end up being more interchangeable than maybe the way they talk about them. I, I don't know that for sure, but I'm, I'm fascinated to see what this looks like and how much they really do commit to this whole idea of mixing and matching and matching up for game plans. Cause like, you know, Kyle was talking about it. Like we may not know how much of a part of a defense of a bullet's going to be after week one, because they're starting off by playing against a run heavy offense in Minnesota. And so there's a good chance we're going to see three traditional linebackers out there a lot in that first game. Now the question is who are those linebackers going to be? Cause Right now, there seems to be only one certainty at linebacker, and that's that Taraja Mitchell is going to start. Taraja Mitchell was named a captain. He, he's been the front runner to start at Will Linebacker all along. I'd be really surprised if he isn't. Mike, it feels like that could be Cody Simon. It could be Dallas Gantt. It could be Tommy Eichenberg. If he's eligible, it could be Paula Ianayateote. It feels like that position is still very wide open. I think we I think we will see multiple players. I don't think we're going to see one guy play every snap at Mike, but that one feels very wide open. And then I think the other question is, okay, is the bullet going to be a full-time player? And if not, then who's that Sam linebacker? Because like you said, we're not really hearing about that. Like I think Kayvon Pope's like kind of a guy that like you think of like, okay, if there's a situational Sam linebacker, who's that guy? But his name has not really come up much. I mean, he wasn't even out there for interviews when we did when we did the linebacker interviews. So I just don't know what to expect out of those two spots. And the fact that Ryan Day has talked about that position in his last couple press conferences as though it's still unsettled and they're still working through it makes me think that those 
positions could could still be a concern for this team. Uh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, you talk about Kayvon Pope as well. I just wanted to add that um, that was one of the reasons I was so confused after the linebackers uh, press conference that one day was because I kind of assumed that they were ha- like they had Kayvon Pope in kind of the Sam role. But then when uh, he did get asked about uh, with, with Al Washington, Al Washington said, no, we have him at, at inside linebacker. And that's where he's fighting for time. And, and we think we have him in the right spot. And so at that point, I was like, well, who do you have at Sam linebacker then? But then you just go back to Okay, I mean, I guess like the, the, the bullet might just be on the field all the time. And, and I mean, we have seen a lot of Craig Young, um, Core Williams, and Ronnie Hickman um, in these uh, practice uh, reps, you know. And so I, I think there's certainly a – and the fact that, you know, the, the coaching staff is just so high on Core Williams. He's one of those guys, um, a lot like Lathan Ransom. Those are, those are two guys that uh, the coaching staff really loves to, to harp on, um, you know, how good those guys look early on and, and um, you know, the waves they're making, uh, even with Core Williams coming off of that ACL tear, obviously – um, you know, Matt Barnes and Kerry Combs uh, and Ryan Day just just can't stop saying uh, all the good things that they possibly could about Court Williams and his uh, diligence and work ethic. Um, you wonder how that translates into uh, uh, this year for him uh, playing that bullet position uh, against a couple of uh, other guys who have a little bit more experience, um, you know, given that he missed all of last year. But yeah, I think there's still a lot of questions. There's nothing is uh, nothing is certain when it comes to the Ohio State defense. Um, you know, I think people. I think people are very split in, in the fan base and opinions online of thinking like, oh, you know, you know, it was it was COVID last year that kind of uh, curtailed the the depth and everything like that. But then you've got other people that are like, why do we have any reason to believe that you know it's it's going to be just completely different this year? Um, so I think we've we've still got a lot to figure out, and we won't necessarily get those questions before I think Ohio State actually does uh, kick off their season. Yeah, and I mean, truthfully, like that's where I am myself. Like I don't I don't know. Like is is this a matter of just like, oh, chalk that up to COVID? Like they didn't have a full offseason. Kerry Combs didn't have a, a real opportunity to, you know, install his defense and work with these guys in year one. Or was it a matter of the guys who were out there just, you know, didn't play well? I mean, like it, 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 it's hard. It's hard to say. And it, it, it's hard to know. Like you said, I mean, you hear good things about guys like Seven Banks and, and Josh Proctor and, you know, Cam Brown, how they're coming along. But you know, we have to see it. And like some of these guys, like Seven Banks and Cam Brown, when we were out there for a whole practice, they were only limited participants. And so you just, we, have, we, we haven't really seen enough, even when we've been at practice, to really get an idea of whether those guys have improved. And then I think, you know, again, the other question is just like, what's the depth chart going to look like? Because, you know, you hear them talking up, you hear like Denzel Burps getting talked up a lot, like Ja'Kalen Johnson's getting talked up, Court Williams, like you mentioned, is getting talked up, you know, Lathan Ransom, Cam Martinez. But I don't know if any of those guys I just named are going to be starters. So I think that's going to be the other interesting balance too is, okay, how committed are they, you know, to those veterans, the, the Seven Banks, Cam Brown, Marcus Williamson, Josh Proctor, the guys that our experience are, are are they going to really lean on those guys or are they going to mix in those young guys a lot and see if you know if those guys are better are they going to rotate a lot you know i think you know that's the thing that's interesting because you know they do seem confident that they have a lot more depth i think the question is and i, I think i think this is one of the questions matt barnes was asked yesterday he didn't necessarily answer it but i think he was asked like you seem to feel good about the depth but how do you feel about that top line and i think that's my question too is I just don't know. Is there is there a Jeff Okuda in this unit? Is there a Damon Arnett in this unit? Is there a Jordan Fuller in this unit? I don't know. I don't know. And I think they need a couple guys to be those kind of players if they're really going to make a huge jump as a pass defense this year. Yeah. And if you're looking at it with a glass half full kind of perspective, you know, if you're an Ohio State fan per se, um, you'll remember that the three players that you just named, as a matter of fact, on the Ohio State secondary were part of that 2018 defense, Correct. which uh, did get you know shredded routinely. And they came back the next year, and everyone was kind of it, it is kind of a parallel to this season, which is to say, well, one, we were talking about the bullet a lot uh, that off season <laughs> as well, and that didn't come to fruition. Um, but also uh, a group that that uh, contained uh, largely the same uh, core when it comes to the secondary, um, and and just kind of wondering, you know, how are these guys going to remedy these issues? It's the same exact guys. And, you know, there is, a, a you know, some differences. Obviously, Sean Wade's gone, of course. Um, but it's largely the same group, aside from the fact that you have these younger guys kind of pushing that group. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they turned it around uh, in 2019. Um, 
you know, uh, that remains to be seen whether or not those same types of improvements uh, can be made this year with the group that they've got. And there does seem to be a confidence among the players and the coaches in that secondary. I mean, Court Williams, he was saying yesterday about they could be scary good in, in the secondary. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. But there does seem to be a real confidence among the coaches and players in the secondary. It, it's just, I think, most Ohio State fans are in the boat now. We need to see it to believe it. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, I don't know if you want to start talking about uh, you know captains as well as another topic here. I, d- I didn't have a perfect segue for that one, but um, <laughs> okay. that was one of the other. You'll get uh, there. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the other big takeaways from the last few days. Uh, of course, that was part of that Saturday, that impromptu uh, Saturday uh, press conference with Ryan Day. Any surprises to you about the six? We'll, we'll, we'll list them off here for you: uh, Taraja Mitchell, Thayer Munford, uh, Zach Harrison, Chris Olave, Haskell Garrett, and Cam Babb. Um, which which of those was most surprising to you? I think Cam Babb. I think he was the one that I wouldn't have guessed. But, you know, I, I think that's a really cool story for Cam Babb, a guy who, you know, Ryan Day confirmed had his fourth ACL surgery this offseason, which, I mean, that's just not something that you hear of very often, a guy having four ACL surgeries. And, I mean, he has just, he has just not had any luck with his health dating back to his senior year of high school, and it's basically prevented him from playing at all. At Ohio State, but the fact that he was still named a captain by his teammates, I think, tells you something about you know the kind of person he is, and you know the kind of impact he's had on the team. And you know, I know we're supposed to talk to wide receivers on Wednesday night. I, I hope we get a chance to talk to him because I haven't really talked to him since he's started his Ohio State career. But you know, the way that you know everybody everybody talks about him in the program. They think really highly of him, and the fact that he was named a captain, that's about as much of a stamp of approval as they can give him. None of the other five really surprised me. I think I think the one guy that wasn't on the list that surprised me a little bit was Jeremy Ruckert, because Jeremy Ruckert did go to Big Ten Media Days. He was a guy that has been talked about as a leader, and granted, I think he still will be a leader, because Ryan Day made the point at the start of his press conference on Saturday that... Even if you're not a captain, he still expects a lot of our guys to be a leader. I mean, certainly C.J. Stroud is one of those guys who needs to be a leader. There's, a you know, Seven Banks and Marcus Williamson and Nicholas Petit-Frere. And, you know, those are all guys who I think, Garrett Wilson, I mean, those are all guys who are going to be leaders, even though they're not captains. But, you know, Ruckert's probably the one that wasn't in there that surprised me a little bit. Babs the one that I wasn't expecting, but... You know, I think it's a pleasant surprise to see him get that honor from his teammates. Yeah, for sure. And just the fact that, you know, he's been willing to, to continue to fight and stay in the program and, and frankly just not give up. I mean, how many other people, you know, I, when I was in high school, not to, come, to bring myself into it, but, you know, I, I had a, like a fracture in my uh, back and then I came back and broke my leg like right after that. And I was done. I was done. I quit. You know, I was out. So, um, you know, I wasn't going to get named a captain in that situation. So, um, you know, it goes to show, you know, what type of character Cam Babb has, the fact that he hasn't just been like, man, four ACL surgeries, I'm done. The fact that he's still in there. And Ryan Day said that he, he uh, you know, got in front of the team and, and spoke about resilience and, you know, why he is still, um, you know, fighting to uh, compete in the program. And so, yeah, that was a great story. Like you, uh, Jeremy Rucker was a big surprise to me. I had actually written out um, who I thought all the captains would be uh, for a story and, you know, wrote their bios and everything like that. The ones I had written that were not, did not end up being named captains were uh, Master Teague, um, Jeremy Ruckert, and I also put uh, Marcus Williamson down. And um, uh, because there's not there's not a single uh, captain name that's a part of that secondary, um, which you know usually you see you know guys represented from almost every position group. But yeah, I think the the fact that Master Teague was not named captain uh, does not necessarily bode well for. I think if they would have named him captain, it would have been clear. Okay, he's coming. He's a fourth year player. He's the a captain in the, in the position group. You know he's gonna he's gonna be the starter this year. The fact that he was not named captain kind of now leaves you uh, leaves your mind uh, to wander and think, you know, oh wow, is somebody else actually going to come in and, and definitely be the starter? Uh, you know, it, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, for sure that that's the case, but it just does it leaves the door open a little more than uh, if he was to be named one. Um, and then Marcus Williamson again, uh, him just being, you know, a, a returning guy. You know, and I, I really liked, uh, you know, last year when we talked to him about why he was returning, and he kind of got emotional and everything. Um, and that kind of uh, made me think, you know, of him as, as a, you know, a guy that stepped up as a leader and everything like that. And the fact that he's one of the returning starters in the secondary. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wasn't shocked that he was not named one. But I guess the fact that there isn't anybody else in the secondary, I thought that he might be the one if there was one. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think longtime listeners of the podcast will know that I've been 
banging the drum, but I think Mayan Williams is going to be the starting running back on the team this year. So we'll see what happens uh, next next Thursday night and see if that uh, actually comes true. All right, Dan. I mean, do you want to get into some uh, some alliance talk here? The, the the breaking news of the day. Yeah. So there was news on Tuesday afternoon that had been expected since last week, I believe. That the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 have decided to form an alliance uh, between the conferences. And uh, the announcement was pretty vague. Hour-long press conference with the commissioners was mostly full of just uh, jargon and not a whole lot of actual details on what this thing is going to entail. But they did say in the announcement that there are uh, going to be future scheduling arrangements between the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12, and I think I think that's the most uh, interesting part of this. And you know, there was a report uh, by uh, Yahoo's Dan Wetzel and Pete Famel on Monday night that said the Big Ten could drop down to eight games and require each team in the conference to play one ACC and one Pac-12 game every year. And Kevin Warren, when he was asked about that, he, he did say that was something they were going to have to explore. So it certainly sounds like that's a possibility. And to me, I'm not sure whether that is a good or a bad thing. Because I think, you know, the gut reaction from a lot of people is like, you know, it's good because I like, go oh, like more non-conference games against, you know, power five schools. But here's why I'm skeptical. I know from talking to Gene Smith, you know, from talking to other people in college athletics that, you know, schools like Ohio State, they really want to have seven home games a year. And so if you add in two non-conference games against ACC and Pac-12, I'm going to assume you're going to play one of those at home and one of those on the road every year. That's going to bring you to five and five home and away between your four home and four away conference games. And so now you basically get backed into a position now where if you're going to have seven home games every year, you're going to have to have two home games that are not home and homes. And so to me, I think that's going to make it substantially more difficult to schedule matchups like Ohio State, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia. Now, Kevin Warren did say that they're not going to interfere with the contracted games that have already been scheduled. And so Ohio State's still going to play Alabama. Ohio State's still going to play Georgia. Ohio State's still going to play Texas. But I do wonder down the line, whenever this actually starts, which could be a long time from now and quite frankly could be never because there's no signed agreement between these contracts right now. It's just a, ver- it's just a verbal agreement. And so I think the possibility that this alliance amounts to nothing substantial is a very real one. But I think if you assume that like that is a road that they're going to go down, that they're going to, you know, the Big Ten's going to play an ACC team and an SEC team every year. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. I think what I would say is if they're going to do that, I would personally hope that it's not simply a rotation where you where the Big Ten, where Ohio State plays every ACC team once in 14 years. I would hope that it's more strategic in terms of trying to schedule the top teams playing the top teams to me. Because to me, okay, if, if Ohio State's going to play Clemson once every five or six years, then great. Like, that, that, that adds great value. But if Ohio State's going to play, you know, if they're going to host Clemson once every 28 years, I don't know how much value that adds. Yeah, and I think one of my main takeaways from this is, like you were saying, uh, that, you know, uh, we might have thought, you know, with this big announcement that it was going to be something, you know, very imminent or, or uh, hugely, you know, uh, game changing or something like that. But kind of one of my biggest takeaways is that, you know, maybe it isn't going to be because, um, you know, some of these teams are, are locked into these uh, TV contracts for another decade and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, they said today that uh, uh, that they're not going to interfere with any of the contracts. They're not going to, um, you know, try to get anybody out of anything to, to get into it. And, and when asked about... A lot of people would would just think right away, okay, okay, when is Ohio State going to start playing? Uh, When's Ohio State going to play Clemson in the regular season or something? But then uh, when asked about it today, uh, Kevin Warren, you know, immediately just kind of says, in regards to scheduling new crossover games, um, Kevin Warren says, well, we've already got all these games scheduled between all the conferences. So then you're kind of just thinking like, well, then what are we, what are we even doing here? Like, what's the, you know, what's the purpose of this all? Um, you know, I, I think it's something that they felt like they had to do, even though Kevin Warren said that it wasn't a direct answer to the SEC, uh, you know, grabbing up 
Oklahoma and Texas, I think, you know, it was. It was something that they felt like they had to do to kind of balance the, the power structure um, in this kind of ever-changing uh, uh, college sports uh, landscape that just seems to be, you know, kind of in flux right now with all these changes. Yeah, I've, I've talked on the show before about comments that set off my BS meter, and there were two of those today. One was that one where he said it wasn't a reaction to the to Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. It absolutely was. And then the big one was when both George Klyavkov and I probably didn't pronounce that right. And Jim Phillips <laughs> both claimed that this was not about money because it was about money. Come on. Who are you fooling here? These things are always about money. So to, to say that this was not driven by revenue, come on. Yeah, yeah. You could definitely see through uh, some of the stuff going on there. And, and of course, kind of like we talked about um, you know, you know, sometimes these these commissioners, these conference commissioners, these guys are experts at kind of, you know, saying things, speaking for a long time without really saying anything at all. And, and at the end of it, you're kind of just confused, underwhelmed. You don't really know if anything they actually said actually meant anything at all. And so that's that, that was kind of where I was left off at um, with some of the talks today. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, by the end of that press conference, I was ready to go take a nap because just listening to them them talk and talk without saying a whole lot of substance, I, my eyes were kind of starting to glaze over by the end of it. You know, for you, do you think it, it's a positive or negative for Ohio State, um, you know, if two ACC and Pac-12 games a year replace a Big Ten game and an SEC non-conference game? Yeah, like I said, I'm kind of on the fence of that. I know Silver Sniper asked us, what kind of answer to the SEC grabbing Oklahoma and Texas as the Big Ten planning a schedule alliance with the ACC and Pac-12? Weak, decent, or excellent? I would go with decent. I think, like you said, I think they had to do something. And so I think this is doing something or at least making it look like you're doing something. And I think I think what it does is I think it does establish that Okay, we are going to still be power conferences. The Big 12, again, another one, they, they said the Big 12 matters, but they didn't invite the Big 12 to this thing. So I don't know how much they really think the Big 12 matters. To me, the, the, big, to me, the Big 12 is on life support now. You, you've already lost your two biggest teams. You're not part of this alliance. You're way behind these other four now. So I think what it does is I think it establishes your place I shouldn't even say power five. It really establishes your place among the power four. And I think by working together, they can ensure that, okay, our conferences are going to survive, even though the mighty SEC just got bigger. We're all going to survive. And so I think because of that, it makes sense for them to do this. But I don't really know how much is actually going to come out of this. I, I think there's good reason to be skeptical about how much of a difference this is actually going to make on anything. I think, you know, I think it's a good thing for those conferences to be working together. But the fact that there's no actual contract, the fact that we're really all just talking in, in vague language here and there's no concrete plan for how these conferences are actually going to work together lends itself to the idea that this might not actually amount to much. Yeah, I think that there's there's enough meat on the bone with some potentially fun matchups, uh, you know, interconference matchups there. Um, but like you said, we, we pretty much learned today that it's just not, you know, it's there's nothing quite as imminent happening as we might have imagined. And so that kind of, you know, cuts into the excitement that one could possibly have uh, for this kind of alliance. All right, we had some other questions from listeners. So want to get to those now. Uh, starting with Gin and Juice, bigger shoes to fill. A, C.J. Stroud replacing Justin Fields. B, Griffin Strom replacing Colin Haas Hill. You know, I, I often, uh, you know, I often have thought of Colin Haas Hill as the Justin Fields <laughs> of uh, the beat. Um, but no, here, here's my answer to that. You know, much like Ryan Day said that, uh, you know, C.J. Stroud doesn't necessarily have to do anything extraordinary when he gets out there in the season opener because he's got all these weapons around him, you know what I'm saying? All these elite weapons. Um, that's kind of how I feel. I feel like, you know, with Dan Hope by my side, with guys like Kevin Harris, Garrick Hodge, of course, you know, I've got so many, uh, I've got so many weapons at my disposal, if you will. And, uh, and you know, together, uh, I think we're a championship team. So am I your Chris Olave or your Garrett Wilson? I think you're my Chris Olave, to be honest. All right, I like, I like that. I like that. Floyd Stahl also asked, what exactly is Colin doing in Los Angeles? It's been stated that he has changed his careers, but no specifics have been given beyond that. 
I'm not going to break Colin's news for him. So my answer to that would be ask Colin. Uh, I know that breaking news is part of my job, but uh, it would not be right for me to uh, put Colin's news out there. I, I would imagine that he will make an announcement at some point uh, regarding what he is doing. But, you know, for anybody who missed the show a couple weeks ago, I know he did say I'm there, but you know, he is moving to Los Angeles. Uh, he is still going to be working in sports. Uh, it's not going to be a, a traditional sports journalism job per se, but he is still going to be working within the sports industry. And so, you know, I would imagine he will make an announcement on uh, what he is doing soon, or you can uh, feel free to ask him yourself, but it wouldn't be right for me to uh, put his news out there for him. Yeah, Dan, I can't believe you gave away that he's going to be working in sports because I was just about to say, I mean, we're uh, moving to Los Angeles. I mean, he must be becoming either a musician or, <laughs> a musician or an actor or something like that. Uh, um, but yeah, I guess. Well, I uh, did. Yeah, I did joke with him because he, he questioned me a couple of weeks ago if Ryan Day was actually the most uh, popular person in Columbus. And I told him he was not going to be the most popular uh, person in Hollywood. <laughs> that, that is safe to say. That is safe to say for sure. Dan Mataya asked, does Griffin promise to never leave 11 Warriors? Well, you know, I did uh, I, I did sign the, the lifetime contract the other day. So uh, I guess, you know, it, it's a forever thing for me with 11 Warriors, at least for now. <laughs> Minbuck asked, this, this was my favorite question that we got this week. He said, Ohio State handles Minnesota 42 to 13, but all the fans want to talk about are Stroud's pick in the red zone, Teague's 3.2 yard average on 16 carries, the D line's measly two sacks, and the pass defense giving up 235 yards. The question, you ready for this, Griffin? My response to that is <laughs> I'm, I'm someone that's been around this program my entire life, so that is absolutely nothing new for me. I, I'm not coming in from a team that, you know, struggles to find success and, and uh, you know, has to deal with, you know, the fans kind of uh, riding the team for these, you know, kind of minor things. You know, I've grown up watching Ohio State football my entire life. Um, you know, I've covered the team for, for multiple years now. You know, I, I'm, I'm uh, very acclimated to that type of atmosphere. And, you know, I worked for, for rivals, Buckeye Grove. Um, so I'm familiar with all that type of stuff. Yeah, That's they, new for they me. have an active message board community over there as well. So you've definitely uh, seen the same kind of comments that we get over here. But I did love that comment because it's so true. Because I can absolutely – I can envision everything he just said about uh, – nine days from now uh, we're talking about the Ohio State Minnesota game but even if Ohio State wins big most likely there's going to be plenty of fan angst about the things that didn't go perfectly Mm -hmm. and and Dan I'll ask this one to you because I don't have an answer for this one myself (laughs) Um, uh, this one comes from from uh, Ziploc 007 here Uh, the linebacker and the waiver and and of course the linebacker I'm assuming is referring to uh, Paulier Nayoteote good job Uh, with the name by the way thank you thank you (laughs) So why is it taking so long for him to get away? I don't know how to answer that question, so I'm going to throw that to you. My answer is, if Ryan Day can't even get an answer to that question, what makes you think I can? <laughs> so I, I, I sincerely wish we had an answer for you, uh, but the truth is, even Ohio State can't get an answer on this. I mean, Ryan Day, in his last couple of press conferences when he's been asked about this, has basically been pleading to the NCAA to give him an answer because – School just started on Tuesday. The season starts in a week, and they're still waiting to hear back. But, you know, this isn't anything new for the NCAA. I mean, I remember last year, C.J. Saunders was waiting all offseason, and then they informed him in August that he wouldn't be eligible to play. So this isn't anything new for the NCAA. You just never know how slow they're going to take on these things. And, you know, they've been taking their time with this. And so... Uh, you know, we'll see if they get an answer here in the next week. But, you know, certainly when we were talking about the uncertainty at linebacker before, this is one reason why there's uncertainty because they just don't know if they're going to have uh, Palia Naiteote. And, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine that, you know, the NCAA would really need this long to give them an answer. But, uh, you know, we're still, it's, we're still not exactly sure on what all the details are of this situation. And, uh, unfortunately, Ohio State just hasn't been able to get an answer yet. All right, we'll, we'll keep on going here with the questions. Uh, 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 this one's from Seattle Linga, um, directed towards me. It says, "Welcome aboard, Griff. What are you most excited about entering your new gig? And did Jason tell you about the open thread cleanup duty on game days? <laughs> I do not know what that means. Uh, so perhaps I'll, I'll get an explanation on that before I respond to the second part of it. I'm not even sure what what that means. Uh, I think he's just hazing you. Okay, well, now the most the thing I'm most excited about entering the new gig 
I mean, I'm, I'm first and foremost, I'm excited to, uh, you know, get back on the road to cover some some games this season and, and have another normal season because, you know, last year we had limited seats in the press box. Um, so I didn't get to go to many games, even home games, um, but especially on the road a couple times, you know, I, I went to go cover the uh, the Illinois game on the road that got canceled the night before the game or whatever. So I didn't get to, you know, see a lot of these new uh, stadiums before. Um, you know, that was the, the 2019 was my first time actually being on the road and, and covering a full season. It was so cool getting to see, you know, all these, uh, you know, new college football stadiums that I'd never been in before and only, you know, seen on TV and things. Um, so that was, you know, super cool. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that again. Um, what I'm uh, excited about with this new gig in comparison to others, I mean, you know, and, and not to critique you know, anything about, you know, having content behind a paywall or anything, but it is fun, you know, um, working for a site where, you know, you get exposure, everything, you know, is free to be uh, consumed to a certain extent um, online. Uh, so that's kind of a, a fun thing about 11 Warriors. Another thing fun about 11 Warriors, uh, when you tell almost anyone in Columbus about that you work for 11 Warriors, they go, oh yeah, I know what that is, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, some other things that, that might not be the case uh, uh, quite so much. Um, like I was talking to one of my friends the other day and they were like, yeah, I think 11 Warriors is like, uh, it's like them and like the dispatch as far as like covering uh, Ohio State, uh, you know, covering Ohio State and the exposure. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. So, um, you know, that has been a, a really fun part of uh, of it as well. And obviously just getting to work with Dan and, and the whole team. And, and um, you know, I'm just excited about the opportunity in general. Also were asked by Tussie, what's the most interesting sports story you have covered so far in your career? Um, You know, off the top of my head... Uh, you know, very early on, uh, when I was in like a, it was called Lantern Practicum, which was you were the um, beat reporter for you know uh, an Olympic sport on uh, at Ohio State, and so I was the women's hockey um, reporter. So I, I got to have a long one-on-one um, with Nadine uh, Muzzerall, who's the the coach uh, of the Ohio State women's hockey program, um, and she took over for um, a program. Um, that had been kind of derailed by a bunch of uh, controversies with the multiple head coaches in a few years and several different controversies that they were dealing with. Some kind of some bad situations. And I got to talk to her about, you know, coming in and, and kind of, uh, you know, changing the whole thing around. And then pretty soon after that, you know, they were a frozen four program and, and com- contending for, you know, national titles and things like that. And with, you know, some of the same players, uh, you know, that experienced kind of those those things. I remember she was saying, uh, you know, one of their star players, when she got there, there was just like no like light in her eyes because she was just losing her like love for the sport. And um, I could just tell like how, how much of a difference Coach Muzzerall made on that program uh, coming in. That was, that was just one um, off the top of my head, interesting sports story that I covered. All right, last question. I hope this one was directed towards you because people should know by now that I don't watch movies. But Wahoo Fan Chicago said, best media professional on Full Metal Jacket, Raptor Man or Joker? Well, unfortunately for uh, for uh, Wahoo Fan Chicago, <laughs> um, I have not seen – I think I've seen like part of Full Metal Jacket maybe. Um, it, it's probably on a list of movies I made at the beginning of COVID of like movies that I had never seen that I like – that people are like, you've never seen that before? <laughs> and uh, so that's probably still sitting on that list. Still haven't seen it. So uh, unfortunately, let's just go with the Joker because uh, you know I know who that is at least. In All terms right. Of- I'll, I, I'll, we'll go with that. It worked for me. I don't – I have no idea. So we'll go with that as people know my list of movies is, is long but I have not seen that people are surprised I haven't seen. So uh, we'll leave it at that for this week. Uh, next week, we are going to have a game to preview. We are going to have a game to preview as Ohio State will be playing Minnesota next Thursday, just eight days from now. So be sure to tune in next week. Griffin will be back with me once again uh, to look ahead to that season opener. So thanks again for listening in, and we'll talk to you soon.